Hello, this is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust. Our podcast series examines from a range of perspectives how firms are tackling the issue of consumers in vulnerable situations. Hello, good morning and welcome. Uh, My name is Chris Fitch. Uh, Welcome to Vulnerability Matters and to our new series on working in a crisis. Uh, In this series, I'm going to be talking to individuals who normally work in many different ways to support some of the most vulnerable people in the UK, but are now doing so in the time of the coronavirus crisis. And during this, we'll be talking to the people keeping our banking and financial services going and our electricity, gas, water phones and broadband all turned on, those essential services, as well as those specialists helping staff to look after the most vulnerable of their customers and at a time when so many are vulnerable to a range of different harms. In this series, we'll be talking about working with bereaved customers uh, on the 28th on Tuesday, so please do sign up for that. Supporting customers in emotional distress in May, and what it's like working with a small business or consumer facing a complete financial crisis. Um, If you are not already on mute, um, do do go on to mute if that's an option for you. Um, And if you are having any problems hearing anything, then clearly you can't respond to me saying that. But if you do have any other problems, do let us know and I'll tell you how to do that in a moment. One of the important things of the series is that all the conversations are going to be focusing on the human experience of challenges uh, for both staff and customers. And we'll be looking very much at the practical and often quite small things we can do to look after one another at this time, as well as, of course, reflecting on some of the wider policy and practical measures uh, that have been introduced or being uh, proposed. Now, Today's April the 23rd, and while it seems uh, like a year, it was only on March the 23rd the UK went into lockdown. And since then, the nation's focus has rightly been on the NHS and social care frontline, including the logistical challenges of working during a pandemic, and also the significant personal stress, strain and impact that this can have on frontline staff. However, the lockdown has confirmed something else that I think already a lot of us suspected. Another frontline also exists. And it exists in the essential services of finance, utilities, telecoms that we mentioned earlier. And it too is facing real challenges in keeping these services running for people in need and dealing with the effects of meeting this challenge on their own mental, physical and personal well-being amongst staff. So today we're going to be looking at the impact on staff on working in a crisis. And to help me do this over the next 45 minutes, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Alicia Phillips from the Money Advice Trust National Deadline and Business Deadline. And Alicia has been part of not only continuing to deal with requests for telephone advice on financial difficulty from UK consumers and businesses, uh, but also been involved in this process at, uh, at the Trust, the National Deadline Business Deadline, on moving every member of staff in the Birmingham Contact Centre to home working and looking after teams who have made this shift. Now, as you might hear in the, uh, in the background, we are all home working today. So if you do hear a little knock or a bang or a door shutting, that's kind of how we're all adjusting to that. But Alicia, welcome this morning. Hi, everyone. Hi, Alicia. Alicia's being very good there, keeping herself on mute and then coming in. Thank you. And uh, also welcome to Caroline Wells, (laughs) who's a member of our vulnerability team at the Money Vice Trust, specialising in staff wellbeing and resilience. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. Uh, Customer experience, complaints handling, vulnerability and a list of other specialities. Caroline, good morning. Morning. And I didn't know this, in 2020 you won the National Centre for Diversity Advisor of the Year Award, so congratulations, belated on that as well. So 
Thank but you. most importantly, that's a pleasure. But most importantly, um, we're joined by a, a very large number of people this morning. Uh, I'm going to call, I've always wanted to say a live studio audience. So uh, welcome live studio audience. And also to the listeners on our podcast. Um, you're all a vital part of this and we depend on your stories today, your questions, uh, your outrage and your moments of success in helping staff and customers. So do join in. If you're part of the live studio audience, you've got a question box. Um, you'll see that um, in the should be on the right hand or the left hand side of your screen where you're able to ask us a question or leave a comment or heckle so if you want to test that at the moment and show us that you're out there that would be fantastic so do find that and if you're on the podcast you can always send me a tweet at at Chris underscore Fitch about anything that you've heard today thank you Emma for saying yes you're, you're there much appreciated so um, I'm going to start um, with you, Alicia, if that's if that's okay. Um, and it's it's a, it's a fascinating kind of scenario, uh, national deadline and business deadline. So can I just ask, when did you first realise at NDL and BDL that coronavirus would not only impact your callers, but also the way in which the organisation would need to work too? Yeah, so I think for the callers in particular, uh, my team quality assess calls come into the contact centre as it was then. Um, and we started hearing references as early as the beginning of March of the people who either businesses that could no longer trade or were anticipating um, a, a lack of hours or reduced hours, people on zero hours contracts, for example. As a contact centre though, and organisationally, we really were aware before we started hearing the calls that this might be something that we needed to react to. As most organisations do, we keep an eye on our working environment full stop, whether that's changes in the financial sector, legislational changes, or in this case, um, big pot to hear about. So we kept an eye um, on information from people like the Chief Medical Officer, and we started our business continuity incident as early as the 27th of February, which was when the risk for the UK was changed from low to moderate. Um, so as an organisation at that point, we felt that we really needed to start thinking about what if, um, and if that was escalated any further. Okay, what is the current situation with NDL and BDL staff? Where, where, where are they located? Yeah, anywhere and everywhere right now. <laughs> so we closed our London office, um, and from that, it was the week beginning the 16th of March that we looked to start closing down our contact centre as a whole. The beginning of that week, we started doing some stress testing. So anyone who wasn't client facing, we started uh, getting them to work from home, checking that they have the equipment. We operate, um, obviously, from an IT point of view, we needed to make sure that everyone had the equipment they needed. The right permissions, the right licenses. We needed to make our, make sure from an HR perspective we had the right support that people could change their working hours. And at the moment, both of our offices are closed, so our entire service um, is actually being run from spare rooms, dining room tables, and bedrooms across Birmingham and large swathes of the West Midlands at the moment. Fantastic. And what we do is we'll come back and unpack some of the actual challenges that that poses uh, to an organisation in looking after those staff and making sure that transition uh, is as smooth as possible. But Caroline Wells, 
I mean, at the moment, many staff, as we've heard from Alicia, are working flexibly to the changing demands placed upon them. These changing demands are both in terms of the, the contacts we're having uh, from our customers and our, our clients, but also the, uh, the, the changing demands in terms of how, how they work. So in this period of um, real uncertainty and change and uh, flexibility, well, how do we best support our staff in doing this? They're all so different. They've all got such different needs. Huge, huge amount of different needs. So I don't, it's really sort of funny. We're doing this webinar today and it just so happens that our boiler blew up yesterday. So I've now got a plumber around and I was pleading with him not to make too much noise while he's trying to hammer a hole out of the wall to replace the unit. So kind of life has to go on while we do this. And we're, so it's not perfect. We're, none of us are really working in a, a perfect um, office environment anymore. Um, as Alicia said, we're either on dining room tables or sat on a settee with a with a with a tray with a meal tray trying to work or sat in a corner somewhere, which is completely different to how we've done it for a sustained period of time. I think that's the big difference for a lot of people now is that we might have had the odd day working from home and you sort of, you know, mucking and make do and mend, don't you, with what you've got. But Doing it day after day after day, that's a, that's a whole different sort of set of circumstances for people. Well, there, there goes the plumber. The, I, can, I can hear the door shutting. key to supporting people. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully on his way out because he's just finished his work. So, you know, it's that, that, that goes to show you that, you know, we're not working in perfect, um, perfect little bubbles anymore there's stuff that's going on around us all the time so for me it's a plumber today if somebody knocks on the door it's going to be the dogs barking because somebody's you know like going to, to kind of knock on the door so all of this is is happening in the background and for businesses you know I think from a from a manager's perspective when you're trying to support people that are working in these environments it's really good to, to know what is somebody's home situation at the moment have they got kids at home or a partner or a family or or dogs or commitments and all these sorts of things that people are trying to juggle all at the same time because it, it's not just that we're all able to work from home now there are other things that have affected our lives which means that perhaps family members that weren't able aren't able to go out anymore and go and get the food that they need so we're having to do that for them so actually our responsibilities might have also and just this whole thing about you know where where are your people working what have they got to work from? Um, in the past, if you were home working, we used to make a big thing about health and safety and making sure that you had all the right kind of equipment. And we've had to kind of almost bypass that at the moment and get people at home working on what they can do. So you need to kind of know how comfortable it is for the staff in terms of where they're working at the moment and, and how long they can actually sit there for and their sort of working pattern. I think the other thing for me is about the sorts of work that they're getting at the moment and an interest in that because otherwise it can become quite soul destroying quite quickly mm. and the biggest thing for me is you know you've got to make sure that people are still learning while they're not in the office because otherwise very quickly you feel like you've become this kind of mechanical bean counter um pushing stuff through that needs to be done when actually there's there's from a resilience perspective you need to not just be able to feel like you're being productive and working, but also that you're being invested in and that you, you're still engaged in the outside world and that you're learning as you go, as opposed mm. to just doing what you've always known. And that's the, the first few weeks of us going into COVID-19. We had to kind of just batten down the hatches and just get on with the job 
and now we know this is going to go on for a while um how do we make that sustainable and safe and interesting so yes. that people come out of this knowing more so there's a, there's a there's a couple of things though I'm, I'm quite struck by and alicia maybe i can ask you to uh to comment on this and that was kind of um and obviously uh if you're list, uh, listening in kind of um do share your experiences as well it's getting to know your staff's uh home life a a, a, a lot better <laughs> now it's 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 now that is that a process that is um well you would have thought to some extent it should be happening already but how did you deal with that getting a handle on kind of because you know your colleagues in the office environment we know about kind of what they share with us but actually this is kind of um compiling some information about about their situation can you talk us through kind of how you approach that in terms of some of the, the teams that you've seen at national deadline and business deadline yeah um I think to be honest with you it's very much taking the starting point of your pre-existing knowledge you know knowing your team before anything changed anyway um but i think it's really acknowledging that maybe their personality doesn't change but certain things that they may have struggled with the challenges that they've had beforehand um, may now start to present themselves so for example i have some people um who are perfectly capable of using our systems on a day-to-day -day basis but when you introduce something new, you know, they would usually uh, benefit from a one-to-one -one sort of visual demonstration. But obviously, at the moment, we can't deliver that. So it's a case of making sure that we're making adaptions, um, perhaps giving them a phone call, you know, sharing screens with them, walking them through it first time round um, to make sure that what may be something they were slightly unconfident about before it all started doesn't develop into something larger whilst they are working from home. Um, and I think the other thing really is being open and honest, you know, having a real two way conversation, um, being alert to the fact that if you are on the phone, if you are hearing things in the background, it's being OK to actually raise that and ask your staff, are you coping with that? Is that something that happens quite a lot? Um, I've got a staff member who at the moment is doing split shifts, which in the office context, they would never consider and never want to do. Uh, because of the commute involved for them but at the moment it suits them better to have three hours off in the middle of the day and it means that we get sort of a better relationship with them it's a, so that's really interesting so there's a real I was, I was having a conversation with a, a, a good colleague um, who I, I thought I knew quite well who then started telling me about the uh, the additional learning needs of uh, uh, one of his children and it wasn't saying that I'd really uh, he'd ever shared with me before um but it was only by virtue of uh, what's happening at the moment that it, it, he mentioned it in in the conversation we're starting to discover a lot more about one another is, is this a is this a formal process then should managers team managers be sitting down with a clipboard and uh, kind of running through a checklist and even if such a checklist exists or is this um is this something that we let flow and we discover as kind of people adapt to kind of uh, working at home I think it's much more organic. Um, I certainly have team members who, if I sat down to do some sort of formal interview, how are you coping? Um, actually, I think it would have very much the opposite effect, you know, very private people, and they would only see that as prying. I think one of the best approaches we have taken is just sharing what other people are doing, because I think mm -hmm. sometimes people don't want to step forward and don't want to blur the line as they may see it between their professional and their personal lives because they think they're asking for special treatment or something unusual something that we wouldn't usually grant for example um 
and actually just giving examples of the different hours people are working, how we've helped and supported other people, you know, the extra phone call here or whatever it might be. And actually, I think people have responded really well to that, knowing that it's really about asking for help and supporting the way you did or flagging an issue up. And actually, we can help work with you to find that solution. Okay, let's drill down because one of the things we like to do on these 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 series is kind of a be kind of long on the practical. And I'm just going to bring in uh, a comment here from Paul about um, keeping in touch with staff. Now, Paul's comment, I think, is a really interesting one: is keeping in touch with furloughed staff, and that's not something that's happened at National Deadline and Business Deadline. But let's look at that kind of um, sort of more more broadly in terms of how do we, what should we be doing in terms of keeping in touch with our our staff, Alicia and Caroline, what should we be trying to replicate from the uh, the office physical environment into the virtual kind of a home working environment? We're creatures of habit, aren't we? We all like a routine and a bit of a structure. I think that for me is one of the key things that um, in their day to day. Yeah. I really like this idea of um, keeping in contact with people in a work and, not, and an, almost in a non-work way. What do you think, Alicia? Yeah, we're very much the same, actually. Um, within the organisation, there's lots of different ways people are keeping in touch. Um, we're using a lot of WhatsApp groups for the more, you know, sociable side of things that perhaps we're missing out on now. Yeah. Those chats that you'd normally have over a coffee, for example. My team are using a lot of the Microsoft Teams chat um, for more immediate questions. So when they're monitoring a piece of work, for example, and they want a second opinion, um, usually that would prompt a discussion, but at the moment we can't physically do that. And I think really what's worked is just working out different ways to communicate, but also how we're going to monitor them. So my team know if a question goes on the Teams group, you're going to get a fairly instantaneous answer because we've all agreed we've made that decision to monitor it a bit more closely, whereas an email, you might take longer to respond. This is a really um, interesting, uh, I've lost the feed here, so I hope you can still hear me. Uh, Caroline, Alicia, just let us know you're there yeah. uh, when I think you come back in. Excellent. Yes. Really, really interesting uh, from, from Rippon here, uh, Rippon Ray, hi Rippon, um, about asking to regularly check in on stuff in terms of mental health and workload. So it's taking that conversation one additional step and it's really just to kind of help, which sits really nicely is from mark mark smith and it's um often i've heard people say um well you're not working from home at the moment you're trying to do your best to work during a crisis and you know how much how much slack how much uh, of an adjustment uh, how much leeway do we give people at this current time so maybe alicia i can ask you about checking in on, on mental health and caroline on Kind of adjustments and slack mm -hmm. yeah um i think with the mental health side of things again it goes back to a, a, a sort of pre-existing relationship and an understanding however i think actually what it's really taught me at the moment is to really be much more mindful of the people you don't hear from as well okay so when people go quiet i've also been making i've also been making i've also been making i've also been making a conscious effort then to yeah yeah to to just make sure that everybody is being included and that any types of behavior whether people are becoming increasingly more chatty or asking for more support and that's a bit unusual for them or going the other way being a bit more introverted um, making sure that i'm having conversations with them um, and 
if that's at particular points in the day, is that because their partner's coming home, the kids are doing something, you know, just trying to spot patterns really, um, and just making sure that I link that in with how that person's feeling. Caroline, about kind of a, a adjustments and kind of a leeway. Yeah, I think this is, um, it's I suppose, it, actually even the, the language you use around it about sort of cutting people some slack and giving them leeway. I think the first thing we need to understand is what their home life is like and what else people are juggling with at the moment and then agreeing something that gives people the best chance to to do their work without having to juggle too many other balls in the background <laughs> otherwise something will will drop won't it so again so picking up on what Alicia said I've seen some really good examples of people who are um, splitting the time that they're working so they might do seven till nine and then they stop because they've actually got to do some homeschooling for the for the children or they've got to go out and get some shopping in for an elderly relative or whoever and then they'll start up again they'll pick up again sort of mid-afternoon and then work through to a later period of time and actually that's worked really well with them because when they can do the work they they give it their all because they can as opposed to having to have one eye looking out to see what's happening um, in the rooms outside of where you're working so there's there's a lot to be said <laughs> for that <laughs> you know that because it, it's there's nothing worse than think it's all gone quiet out there what what on earth is happening you just imagine this like you know paint everywhere and stuff like that so so there's there's definitely a a reason to give people a chance to work differently if that's different hours different times of the day and sometimes perhaps even different types of work depending on how they are personally affected by working from home because I just think some people will relish it and some people will really hate it and find it very very difficult to do um, so it's not just about to sort of bolster up the fact that their home environment not be a great place for them to work so you have to work with that rather than against it and give people as good a chance as any to work well and stay well while they're doing it okay and to what extent is the balance it's one of the comments we've had up in the uh, in, in the question a question a question area to what extent is this uh mm. is this a responsibility of the employee as well it's because um it, should we what how do we strike a balance between people speaking up and asking for these uh these adjustments and us doing them automatically and putting them into place yeah, so there's 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 a, more of an onus on us as a as a business to be proactive and put um, things in place for people if we know that they need that assistance. So going back to what Alicia said, you know, having a good awareness of your own team and their needs before this happened would have really helped you to know what they needed once they were having. Sometimes, you know, life isn't perfect, is it? And people will tell you stuff that. You didn't know <clears throat> until they have to because the situation has either forced their hand or actually they can feel that things are getting worse for them so there's mm. i always think it's a two-way two street isn't it as a business and as a manager you need to know your staff as well as you can so you can proactively put stuff in place to to look after them protect them and help them make the best of the work that they're doing but there's also responsibility on employees to be honest about the situation if it's very very <clears throat> or to ask for help if they need it this whole thing about resilience isn't isn't just something that you lay at the door of an employee this kind of like get on with it and sort it out yourself it's all on you type thing and nor is it the 
if we put in bean bags and give you free tea and coffee, that means that everyone's resilient. Right. So it's this massive bit in the middle around your environment, your personal experiences, and whether you, you as an individual can take the situations that you're dealing with and convert them into something that's positive, mm -hmm. has an outcome to it. So you feel like you're making a difference, which has a massive impact. Okay, we'll come on to what resilience means, because there's some where the term resilience uh, leads to a, a raised eyebrow, and there's mm -hmm. others that are wholeheartedly uh, invested in the term. But Caroline, in the um, in the questions, your name say Caroline in the questions has asked. I'll put this to Alicia. Um, Brilliant name. It's kind of a. It's kind of, What do we do when um, a, a requested adjustment perhaps is 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 challenging? And Caroline mentions kind of where staff want to kind of um, reduce their hours um, in yeah. response to kind of what's going on. But clearly, national deadline and business deadline are, are meeting a critical need at the moment in terms of kind of people looking for advice and guidance. How do we how do we deal with that? Yeah, and I think the starting point certainly with, with my own team has, has been that, that this isn't easy for anyone. Everybody will be facing a challenge of some description at the moment. So we need to start discussing what yours is. From that point, um, we're very lucky, realistically, that we have an awful lot of very motivated staff who genuinely believe in the work that they actually do anyway. So quite often the conversation of, but we need to be there for our clients, is almost an undertone in anything that, that we sort of talk about professionally anyway. I think what's really helped some of my team is by them answering the question of, you know, what's the, what's the issue that you're facing, you know, um, and actually offer where we can a few different solutions. So it might be, okay, well, yes, you might need to take a longer lunch break, but do we need to fix that lunch, for example? Can it move every day? Do you need things at a certain time? Do I need to make sure that if I contact you for help and support, it's between certain hours? So I've got uh, team members who have small children, so I'm very au fait with their nap, nap schedules now, and I know the best time to contact them. And I think most of the time when I'm having these conversations, it's okay. So if I know that this is your situation at this point in the day, is it reasonable for me to ask you to do this type of work? Would you be able, would you be confident that you'd be able to deliver it to what you deem to be, you know, your fair standard? And most of the time, by actually not shying away from that awkward element of the conversation, we've been able to strike some really good compromises. Um, so some of my team will, instead of take telephone calls, they'll be web chatting. Some of them, for example, will take longer breaks in the middle of the day, as I said. And it's really about looking at that flexibility because they know ultimately we still need to make sure that when we are interacting with our clients, they get a quality service. So when we're having the conversations, my take on it is, how can I help you give the client what they need? And it's always then ending back with making sure that they get the opportunity, as Caroline said, to have a good working environment because they take pride in their work. And I want to help mm. facilitate that at the moment. So they're doing this at the same time that um, big changes in the way we're working, and we're going to explore more of them in, in a moment, as well as resilience. But can you tell us a bit, um, Alicia, about the, the, the calls that are coming into National Deadline and Business Deadline in terms of the challenges that they're posing to staff? Because you're getting people in real crisis, real uncertainty, ringing up while all these changes are happening yeah. in the workplace. Yeah, and I think actually one of the biggest 
challenges for our staff um, and in terms of their resilience is I think the tone and the nature of the calls has actually changed a bit. So we're very used to being able to have a conversation with our clients and actually move through a set process that will bring people to solutions or recommended outcomes. And at the moment, because we've got so many clients who whose whole circumstances are yeah you know we don't know if they will be returning to work or how long that will take but actually at the moment we're dealing with a lot of very anxious people but we're dealing with them in a much more uncertain term not just because of what's going on in the wider world but it might also be things like a budget for example you know the fundamentals of debt advice well at the moment they look very different to how they may look in three months time if it's back to usual quote unquote but also that question of what is normal going to look like um, mm. and when we know that in months to come then we might be able and better positioned to give sort of more long-term advice we've also noticed that a lot of our callers now um, are really looking for just i would call sort of emergency advice here and now it's i haven't got any food what benefits do i need to claim they were dealing with a lot more people who actually are very atypical for our service because they've just mm. had no experience of the benefit system, any financial difficulty before. Um, and they need that real emergency advice for the absolute basics here and now. So how are you, how are you skilling the team and keeping them uh, able and uh, prepared to deal with some of the issues that perhaps you haven't encountered in terms of the intensity or volume before it's going back to what caroline was saying earlier about investing in the team but in this case keeping them up to date with everything that's happening at the moment how they should be responding yeah so we're very lucky because we are a larger organization so we have a lot of support um one of the things organizationally that we've done is we've held some bereavement training and training about loss and grief in general uh, which has happened over the last few weeks because the reality is we already know some of our staff have been personally affected by the outbreak and trying to work, grieve and, you know, balance everything else is a real challenge. So we wanted to offer some support in that way as well. We have what we call our information team, whose job is to take all the press releases, you know, all the FCA guidance, etc., and update it onto our intranet and then actually turn that into client facing information like our, um, our fact sheets, for example, at the moment. Um, which are all on our websites as well. So it's giving the different shape to the information that we had before and tailoring some of our resources. Um, so simple things like asking creditors to just back off and hold action. We used to have a standard letter that said for 30 days. And at the moment, that's been updated with the current crisis to say, you know, actually three months is fairly reasonable at the moment. And maybe that might need to be extended further. Mm -hmm. So for the staff, it's lots of making sure they've got the right information to send to their clients so they can take confidence in that. It's making sure that we have weekly updates on what's changed because things have been so fast paced. Um, it would usually be monthly, but we've, we've stepped those up at the moment. It's then team briefs and discussions. How do we put this information into practice? What are the triggers uh, that we might hear from clients that would, would make this relevant? And then the bigger organizational picture of you know external open support as well. Yeah, Caroline and um, Paul on the um, on the questions and comments both touch on some of the uh, the notion of kind of when we might be back to normal 
um, and some of the anxiety mm. uh, around staff about when that's actually going to be. None of us know how long this mm. is going to go on for. And this is where the resilience comes in, um, Caroline, and kind of, you know, people can see, be, be very, people can be very unkind about the term resilience, can't they? Um, some people can see okay. it as being more than uh, telling people to have a nice, long, deep bath or do some colouring in. I'm doing my best sarcastic voice there. Uh, but other people um, are really, uh, other people are really invested in it. Then you have those who think it places far too much responsibility on the member of staff to manage a difficult situation, and one that sometimes their workplace actually might have played a, a part in uh, actually creating. And mm. there are others who talk about this really mm. revolutionizing kind of the way they do work. So, so what is the big R? What is the big big resilience? What does it mean? And what does it mean at this time of coronavirus? So I think I think for the first time we've got a swathe of people for who who would normally say that they are pretty resilient and are finding it difficult so actually it's gone from being something that you know resilience used to be talked about really sort of help people that were struggling and you know it was those people over there and it wasn't us it was always them and actually it's something that applies to all of us now because of the different ways that we're we're all working and I do think resilience is like this um I call it like a soup because it's it's a combination of factors that come together to help someone to be more resilient and it's true to say that some of us are have more natural resilience to to difficult situations than other people that's just our makeup that's how we were raised it's our experiences in it and it's our fears and our working environment can really help or hinder um those kind of personal biases and and things that we carry with us when we go into a working environment so i think there's there's, there's two parts to this one is about you as an individual and then one is about your working environment and what your business can do to support you in that so that it doesn't make it worse. Actually, it helps you to make the best of your, your own tools that you've got. Um, I mentioned earlier on that actually what this outbreak has done is it's made us have to think as businesses a lot more innovatively about how can we maintain that sense of resilience? How can we create an environment that makes makes it feel good for people to work you know it's so resilience isn't this kind of like so there's no silver bullet there is no magic bullet to this at all it's usually a series of little things that we can all do that actually when you put them all together create this sense of security stability and well-being and that's what resilience is and also understanding what your triggers are and what you struggle with and then having some personal responsibility to deal with it you can't just say oh it's too tough for me um i can't do that because actually part of being resilient is knowing what you struggle with and then finding tools to help you overcome them and not cope but actually overcome them so you come out of it with a with a positive result for both you and whoever it is that you're trying to help as well so how how given it's so individual how yeah. can any organization help its staff become more resilient we've heard the i mean there's we've heard one aspect and uh, nicola raises this in the end in the comments about kind of uh flexible working could perhaps make us more resilient mm. but you know it, it's it, it, because it's so hard to define it sounds very difficult to kind of pin it down as practical steps that firms can take to support individuals to become more resilient. Is, is that a fair comment or unfair? 
Yeah, no, I think it's one of those things where uh, you know you've got it wrong when it happens, but otherwise things just tend to kind of bumble along quite nicely if you've got the balance about right. I think the working from home is challenging people around their home work-life balance, but actually some of the innovation that's happened around that where people are doing things like split shifts or you know starting earlier in the morning and and finishing at lunchtime or you know whatever it is that's happening or changing the type of work that they're doing what's interesting is that actually the wheels are still turning life is still going on we're actually managing to do this work in a different way to what we used to do so it, it i think it helps to challenge what the therefore we can't do it any other way and when we're learning very quickly that that's not true we we can change that around but resilience is about feet is about feeling it's about how you feel it's an emotional response to to what's going on around you and that's that's more than that's more than the free tea and coffee that businesses might supply to their employees it's about being valued and trusted and it's those things if you can build an environment that helps your members of staff to feel that and actually the working from home has done a significant amount to show people that they are trusted to get on with the work at home without having someone looking over them all the time so those things around value and trust and independence will have a huge impact anyway on resilience but there's something about where we are today it's about human connection and people staying in touch because the one thing that people say that they miss if everything else is perfect in terms of the technology works they've got the right balance it's not being able to speak to people that can have the biggest impact on people at this moment in time and so things like video conferencing have a huge benefit in terms of connecting with people and seeing different faces so that really helps okay i'm going to ask alicia to come in in, in just a second but um it's interesting kind of um that connection with others um can have a a, a two sides and kind of as Caroline uh, mentions in the uh, in the questions and comments, you know, having a face-to-face -face meeting used to be a break from the screen. Now yeah. we could all be at the screens yeah. almost almost non-stop. So there's a there's a real different way of uh, in which we're in, engaging with one another. So perhaps Caroline um, Caroline Wells a, a comment on on <laughs> screen time, but just to just to push you on two practical things. One of the comments in the questions area is around. Uh, they were holding quizzes for staff who wants to be a billionaire let's hope that kind of a, a firm pays up for that you know um we can no longer do free, free tea and coffee because i'm now paying for my yeah. tea and coffee uh, and my biscuits mm. uh you know the, employ the employer yeah. is no longer paying for that because i'm at home but i mean practically mm. if i had to really push you what, what's your top three on kind of uh building either our own resilience or building the resilience of our teams and then i'll ask alicia to come in uh, building our own resilience, I would say, uh, have a structure and a routine to your day. Get dressed for work. It really makes a, a big impact on, on people when you actually, yeah, why not? Spats, ballerina outfit, whatever it is that, <laughs> that works for you. But um, you, there's that whole thing about separating out your home from your work brain and actually to physically get dressed like I always I call it the, the video conferencing test which is basically somebody you know say can we have a quick call now over the video conferencing would you go a yeah that's all right or b I need to get out my gym jams so you know you want to be dressed for work which is one of them um, to get that routine going and then I think from the firm's perspective my, my top tip would be 
don't make it all about work. So the, the, the things that people are doing around sort of holding quizzes and doing WhatsApp groups, sort of keeping the social interaction going, I think probably have as much benefit as any kind of whizzy technology that you could kind of put on someone's laptop to get them to work more efficiently. So keeping in touch and making it about non-work as much as work. Okay, um, fantastic. Uh, Alicia, kind of what have you, what have you learned as what has worked, and perhaps there's some things that surprised you uh, about these approaches. I think what has surprised me is that in some way this has really been a ground for some of my staff to actually thrive. They've really enjoyed the transition to home working, um, and they felt that it's given them a bit more control over the balance in their life, and they've they've really um, worked well with that. I think some of the other things that we've been looking at um, is trying to keep things familiar, but not necessarily be strictly speaking business as usual. Um, so for one of my team briefs, we decided that everybody was going to go and sit in the garden with a cup of tea and that the first 15 minutes was general chat. You know, it wasn't work talk. It was how's your dog? You know, all those sorts of things. So it wasn't an exact replica of what we do in the office, it was tweaked to, to sort of suit the situation. And we found that those sorts of things have worked really well um, and just given people a bit of light relief because I think sometimes they feel that working at home, I think prior to them actually trying it, was seen as a bit of an easy life. And I think on one level, people who are struggling find it awkward to tell me that because in their own minds, they feel that it's it's a very easy thing or it should be an easy thing to adapt to. So by trying to carry on some of those work roles, as Caroline said, you know, making sure that they've got a structure and a routine and things like that has, has really worked well. Fantastic. And, it, and it, it will be particularly difficult for many members of staff, uh, staff that are living with uh, with others, flat sharing, like a, a tech manager, Chip, who's overseeing this, uh, this, uh, this broadcast today. Uh, when you've got four, three or four kind of uh, friends in a, in a flat, trying to all work in the same area uh, it can be very challenging or you've got kids uh, you know mine are locked mm. away today and I'm lucky enough to have spare space to go into um, these are really really quite challenging things I'm going to just going to bring uh, this this session to a close in in a moment and um, thank you to kind of Ripon uh, kind of a, on, on the hustle uh, proposing that we do a, a further webinar around this because uh, Ripon is, is, is certainly well known to me at least and, and many to many others as well for his work in this area um, but just to kind of bring this um, to kind of a, a close and the, the session will be available uh, to, to re-listen to and also the kind of uh, the background slides I wondered what you might have learned about your own resilience both of you during the uh, during the current situation what have you uh, what have you taken away about your your ability to kind of uh, to bear or work with all this uh, current situation should I go first? Should I lay all my yeah. <laughs> all my cards yeah. on the table? Yeah, so go I, on. I'm self <laughs> go on, right. So I'm self-employed, and I can't furlough myself. Otherwise, I couldn't do um, something like this today. But what what the last few weeks have, have taught me is that um, everyone's talking about it, whether they're self self-employed, employed, working all, all hours that God sends, or or not being able to work at all. Everyone talks about you know moments of feeling happy and then feeling quite anxious about the future. For me, it was about uh, motivation and feeling alone um, because I like people. I've realized 
that, and anybody that knows me knows that I can talk the hind legs off a donkey, but um, I bounce off meeting new people and, and traveling around and seeing new sites. That's where I get my energy from. Um, and then, so to not have that, and it's really interesting that Alicia was talking about um, colleagues having training around bereavement, because actually in some ways, what I was going through was a little bit of that, which is I, I was, I'd lost something that I really enjoyed and I didn't know when I was going to get it back again. And so that really did uh, have an impact on me for a bit. I sort of went through a, am I on holiday or not on holiday thought process? And then mm. I came out of it because I realized that I like people and I like new environments and new situations. Then what I've done is converted that into doing things like um, making an effort to keep in touch with people that I've not done for a while because I'm quite bad at that signing up to webinars about topics that I would normally have swerved because I would have thought they were sort of too too much for me to do um, if I was busy and taking the time to do that so that I I get what I need but I just get it in a different way to the way that I've traditionally done it and that's how I've done it. Fantastic, Alicia? Yeah I very much learned that I'm a creature of habit if I'm honest um, and, and Caroline picked up on this from day one really I had a set working hours and i rarely sort of go beyond those and I like to feel that I've achieved something so it turns out that I've really made the most of writing a list every day ticking off what I've done and they're really simple things but for me personally that gives me the reassurance that yes I have turned up I have done something of note and of worth you know I have learned something or progressed the situation of myself or, or my staff and actually in that way I think that's how I've really learned that those things make me tick a bit more um, and I don't think I would have learned that in the same way had I still been you know commuting into the office every day. Mm. Okay I think this is a this is a really both a, a professional and a very personal chat and kind of hearing you both talk there is, is, is really insightful and also many thanks for all the comments that are coming in at the moment. Um, we're going to end the uh, the webinar now, but don't hit the uh, off button just yet. Just a second. Um, it's it's this is a situation that's going to continue, and I think one of the conversations we will be having is about the return to work, uh, or the return to working as we did before. Given everything that we've learned and experienced now, uh, what that both kind of promises and kind of how flexible our organisations will be in uh, allowing some of the the good stuff to be rolled forward as well as taking stuff and rolling it back. But it just leaves me to say we've got uh, another webinar on bereavement uh, and customers who are experiencing um, uh, bereavement um, at the moment or uh, staff dealing with that. Um, so do join us on Tuesday. That's with Andy Langford from um, Cruise and another guest as well we're lining up. But it just leaves me to end by thanking you, Alicia and Caroline, for, for, your, for your time. Really, really helpful. Um, and really, really kind of sage and wise and guiding. Thank you to everybody on the line for their time. Uh, until we speak again, look after one another and um, take care of yourself as well. <laughs>